0: Masters of War, you that build the big guns, you that build the deaf planes, you that build all the bombs, you that hide behind walls, you that hide behind desks. I just want you to know I can see through your masks. Bob Dylan, Masters of War, 1963, written at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Bay of Pigs fiasco. If you don't know what they mean, Google them. Welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Photographic images too often act as evidence of conflict, historical stamps of man's inhumanity to man, women and children. For me, this began as a child with images from Vietnam and throughout my life of the troubles in Northern Ireland, the Falklands, the Bosnian War, the Gulf War, 9-11, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria and now Ukraine. Ukraine. I read an article recently at Slate.com that stated that the war in the Ukraine could be the most documented war in human history. It was a long article, but certain aspects seemed relevant to where we are as photographers and filmmakers in the 21st century. So I thought that I would share with you some of the points the author raised. Said this. It takes time, people and equipment for media organisations to produce live reports on any event, especially a conflict. It is those things that will limit news organisations in their efforts to establish a full picture of what's occurring. What is coming out of Ukraine is simply impossible to produce on such a scale without citizens and soldiers throughout the country having easy access to smartphones, the internet and by extension social media apps. A large scale modern war will be live streamed minute by minute, battle by battle, death by death to the world. What is occurring is already horrific, based on the information released just on the first few days. The official messages coming out of Ukraine may sometimes seem garbled and confused, but very few governments, if any, could keep up with all the narratives that are occurring. From our offices, our porches, our cars, and our schools, we can watch battles as they happen. What could this possibly mean? It's too soon to tell, but it signifies a historical change in how we fight and how the world watches those fights. My thoughts and prayers are with those brave enough to record the images that the writer spoke about there, that we are seeing on our media streams, whether they are created by professional or citizen journalists. They're all visual communicators, visual evidence archivists, visual image creators. In that sense, they are all photographers. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain to us what photography means to her, Victoria Gibbets, who's a photojournalist who grew up in a news-loving family. Her father was a paperboy who later subscribed to three different newspapers, and her father-in-law was a newsie whose family owned a newsstand. She was surrounded by copies of Life magazine growing up and real life drew her toward a major in journalism with a concentration in photojournalism at Boston University School of Public Communication. Victoria's work has been published in The Times, Washington Post, Boston Globe, USA Today and Town and Country magazine. And it's included within collections at Fidelity Investments, the David Winton Bell Gallery at Brown University and numerous private collections. She's a two-time winner of the Julia Margaret Cameron Awards, juried by Elizabeth Avedon, and has been awarded the Photographer of the Year Award by the New England Association for Media Photographers. A career turning point for Victoria was an assignment to photograph the Big Apple Circus for the Boston Children's Museum. She was mesmerised by the timeless pageantry of the circus and never stopped going back. For that reason, she's going to invite us all now to the circus. Get your popcorn, grab your seat. It's going to be fun.
1: (laughs) Hi, my name is Vicki Gewers and I'm here with my friend Nancy O'Leary. I'd like you to invite you all to the circus, and I'd like to buy you all popcorn. I'm going to try and answer Grant Scott's intriguing question, what does photography mean to me? It's a big question under the big top. I would say that photography has meant different things to me at different times in my life. When I was a kid, my first camera was a Polaroid Swinger. That camera introduced me to the magic of photography. It provided instant gratification, it was foolproof, and I could photograph my toys. Trolls, dolls, my Snoopy. That Polaroid allowed me to preserve my toys forever. Moving on, I joined the Girl Scouts and had the opportunity to get the photography merit badge. It was a green oval stitched badge with an embroidered black and white camera on it. It was beautiful. The requirements were rigorous and technical, but I did it. And I completed a photo essay on my hermit crab. I still have that patch. It's a tremendous source of pride and it looks great on my blazer. (laughs) Moving on to the awkward teen years. In high school, I worked for the yearbook. That gave me a sense of belonging and a sense of participating, but not participating. I had my camera as a shield. My senior year was a turning point for me with my photography. There was a pot bust. My fellow students protested. They blocked the street. They threw bags of lawn clippings in the road. I had my camera. I was nervous, I was not sure what I was doing, but I kept snapping away, hoping to capture something. It was news happening in real time. I was lucky, the film came out. The school paper didn't want them. So I called the Washington Post. They said if I could be downtown, by their five o'clock deadline, they would look at my pictures. I called my mom, she sped over, we got downtown. There was traffic, so I ran the last two blocks, the negative streaming over my head. I ran into the lobby, past security. Stop. Who are you? I'm the Gee Kid. I have the drug bust photographs. They ran my pictures the next day. When I saw my byline, I was in disbelief. Now photography meant I could be a photojournalist. I had entered the world of extra, extra, read all about it. What I didn't realize is that photography could be art. And by going back to school and learning about Stieglitz and Steichen and camera work, I learned about the serendipity and the poetry of photography. And that's where I really started to hit my stride. I got a photo assignment to photograph the Big Apple Circus for the Children's Museum. What I saw was magical and unique and spontaneous, and I never stopped going back. So now I would say that photography is part of who I am. It's a way of expressing myself. It's a way of bringing mirth. I love making people laugh, and if I can bring them any joy or entertainment through my photography, I'm thrilled.
0: Thank you, Victoria, for your contribution this week. I think bringing a little bit of light and entertainment into our world is a good thing when everything can seem so dark. Victoria's work is absolutely stunning and beautiful, and it's really clear to see that influence of camera work and Steichen in what she's doing with the circus. I highly recommend you check her work out. That's Victoria Gewitz, and that's G-E-W-I. I I also have to say a big thank you to friend of the show, uh, Bill Shapiro, who uh, made me aware of Victoria's work. I recently saw a request by a journalist on a UK-based photography magazine asking for people to pitch ideas to her as she is looking for writers for the magazine. So what is wrong with that, I hear you say? Well, let me explain. The idea of somebody working on a magazine in a position of power to oversee the content of that magazine, of what is promoted and what we read, of what is exalted and what is explored, the diversity and the inclusion of that content, that's a powerful position to hold. I believe, and certainly in the case of the history of magazines, that position was held by somebody who was very informed about their subject, who was fully engaged in that subject, who knew what was going on, what had been and what was coming up. That person would work on a commission basis. They would ring up the people who they felt were good writers, who were knowledgeable, who were experts on that field. They would collaborate with that person by suggesting articles, suggesting features. And from that collaboration would come strong and powerful content and, therefore, magazines, which weren't press release led, but they were all about the idea of a mission. Now, pitching basically means somebody sitting in an office saying, I don't know what to do, I'm not very engaged and I need you to tell me what I should be doing. Can you imagine any other job where that would be the case? I think I'd have problems finding one. Well, what's that's one part of the issue for me basically misunderstands the importance of a magazine. And perhaps it also explains why magazine sales are absolutely plummeting and why so many of them are in really difficult financial situations. If that magazine feels to the reader like a series of press releases, no one's going to fully either engage with it or perhaps more importantly, believe it. So that's one problem with the idea of pitching. But to me, there's another. And that is that the idea of pitching means that whoever is pitching those ideas is spending time and effort, and time and effort both should be recompensed with a financial reward, with the idea of putting it to somebody with the potential of absolutely no return. So what are we talking about here? Well, I think what we're talking about is this journalist, and I use the phrase really kind of generally in this context, is asking other people to do their job for them. But not only that, they're saying, do my job for me, and actually I'm going to be the judge of how much of what you do I want to use, and everything I don't want to use I'm not going to pay for. There is absolutely no way in which this should be allowed to continue. And of course, the sadness is that people will pitch ideas because they're desperate to get their work seen or to get their ideas or their books um, featured in this particular magazine. For me, it is the death of publishing and the misunderstanding of publishing. I know that magazines are in difficult financial situations. This particular magazine was saying that they would pay 18 pence a word. Well, doesn't that lead us to the idea of using one hell of a lot of words to say something very simple? That maybe feeds back to stuff we've spoken about on previous podcasts. Either way, my suggestion is If a magazine's asking you to pitch to them, don't. They obviously are not worth it. Perhaps one of the most contentious issues for many photographers contributing their work to various publishers is the whole situation around being credited. This is, of course, an increasing problem with so much work going through agencies, particularly places such as AP, Reuters or Getty. Those agencies are sending out the work, but how often are they actually fighting or are the publications understanding the need for a credit for that photographer? With the absolute deluge of images coming out of Ukraine over the past couple of weeks, and I'm sure that's going to continue into the future, the idea of the credit for the powerful image is more and more important. I'm sure many of us will remember those images, as I discussed at the beginning of this podcast, from previous wars and the photographers who created them. And I suppose, in a sense, those photographers' careers become defined by those images. So it's even more important that that work is recognised and it's actually identified in the publications at the moment, in the time, in the moment. It's got to be respectful, and I think it also needs to be something that publications, newspapers, broadcasters, online channels understand. It isn't just enough to give the credit to the agency. The photographer who's put their life on the line needs to be credited also. Speaking of photographers who are in conflict zones and uh, who need to be credited, one who I follow is Marcus Yam, the Los Angeles Times roving foreign correspondent and photojournalist. If you want to follow him also, and I do recommend it for the quality of his work and also his empathy and his understanding of his role as a photojournalist, you can on Twitter, and he's at Yam, Y-A-M, photo, P-H-O-T-O. The other day he tweeted this and uh, it really hit me hard. Saw some things today that one cannot unsee. A mother's child, a soldier, a lifeless body, a lonely hand, a heart on the road, Hashtag Ukraine. It was always going to be difficult putting this podcast together, because to be honest with you, at this stage, I don't want to just fill um, the podcast or your lives with something that perhaps you're finding difficult to deal with, particularly if you've had experience in war zones of the past. But at the same time, I need, I feel, to recognise what is going on. And I think those words there from Marcus say more than perhaps any photograph can. But they do also raise that issue, the responsibility of the documentarian within the conflict zone to understand what their role is and sometimes to not show images that should not be shown. And I think we all need to be aware of that also when we are retweeting or showing images on social media. A couple of times recently, I've had to think twice as to whether I should retweet something. And I have to be honest, I've stepped back and thought, no, actually, at this point, this is not appropriate. We all make our own decisions at these times. And it was really nice to have Victoria bring a little bit of the circus to this particular episode. But I hope you don't mind that this episode has featured and spoken about and raised issues around what is happening with photography in Ukraine. If we accept that photography is the world around us and the documentation of that world I hope you'll understand why I feel that this week's of photographic life has been appropriate. I'd just like to end with a poem by W. H. Auden, September 1, 1939. All I have is a voice to undo the folded lie, the romantic lie in the brain of the sensual man in the street, and the lie of authority whose buildings grope the sky. There is no such thing as the state, and no one exists alone. Hunger allows no choice to the citizen or the police. We must love one another or die. Take care. <laughs>